Thank you very much, Pastor Jenna, for that introduction. It is a pleasure for me to be here with Pillar Church this morning. When Angela and I moved here to the Holland area about five years ago, we visited this church first off and never went anywhere else. We are so thankful for the ministry of Pillar Church. We're thankful to Pastor John and Pastor Jenna, Pastor Jake and Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Joel. I'm glad my name begins with a J. We are so thankful and so blessed. It seems like week after week, we hear the Word of God preached faithfully with a Jesus-centered perspective. We are called into mission to the world. The music invites us and inspires us and equips us for that mission. And so we say thank you. We also want to say thank you to the congregation for your support of the Multiplication Network Ministries, a growing organization that together in partnership with you has established last year over 5,500 churches. In fact, I can tell you precisely because we keep records of this, 5,563 new church plants, new outposts of the kingdom of God that have been established in over 45 nations. And we can do this because of the partnership with Pillar and so many other individuals and churches who help and come together to see the word of God go forth, establishing new communities of faith that push back the darkness, representing the light of Jesus Christ. As you know, we're in the series of uh, this summer about letters, and we're focusing on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and I'm just thankful to be able to participate in this series. Imagine uh, getting a letter like I did this week from Spain, three little congregations that have just recently been planted came together with the mother church, and they knew that 83 African refugees had just landed on their coast on the Canary Islands, which are part of Spain. These African uh, refugees were mostly Muslim, although there were five Christians among them, 11 women, five children, and they need clothing, they need lodging, they need medical care. And so the governor of the Grand Island of Canary calls the pastor of the mother church that planted these three outposts of the kingdom and says, can your churches help us? And so the churches put their love into action and they just poured the love of Jesus on, the, on these new arrivals, people who are escaping, some of them, life and death situations, some of them looking for a better economic future, but all of them needing housing, clothing, something to put on their feet, medical attention, and of course, a word of encouragement, a word of welcome. And these citizens of heaven, these three little communities of faith, came together and served and helped them out. I wonder how the Apostle Paul would think about this, because he says in one of his letters, I'm hoping to come through Rome, and then from Rome I'm going to go over to Spain. It's unlikely that he ever made it there, although some traditions think he did. But I think he would be happy to see these little church plants in Europe, some of the most recently planted, helping African uh, people with the love of Christ and proclaiming the gospel to them. Imagine Paul sitting in a prison or in house arrest, perhaps in Rome, writing a letter to the Philippian believers. The very first church that he planted on European soil. 
and he's writing this letter from his heart because he's towards the end of his life. Execution is probably near. It's thought that he was decapitated for the cause of the gospel. And he's writing some of the words that would become some of the favorite texts of millions and millions of Christians around the world today. And Paul is there writing, and he's going to give this letter to Epaphroditus, who's going to carry it back to that church that many think was his favorite congregation of the many churches that he planted. And among the texts that he uh, writes is this one little verse I'd like to share with you today from Philippians 3.20, where it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of the Lord. The theme that we see here from that word citizenship, which in Greek is the word politeuma, citizenship, some translations say commonwealth, is the citizenship that we as Christians have and that the Philippians were being reminded by the Apostle Paul also had that their citizenship is first of all and foremost in heaven. And that is the theme for today. Paul was this religious, uptight person with a narrow view of the world, very stuffed up in his own religiosity. But one day, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. On the road to Damascus, he comes to faith. It says that three days later, something like scales came off his eyes, and a new life begins for him who was a persecutor of the Christians, a hater of the cross, an enemy of the resurrection, an enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. He now becomes one of its major proponents and one of its uh, uh, incredible church planters. He takes the message that Jesus has indeed come and identified with human, uh, with a human people, with a human race, and he went to the cross to forgive us our sins, to conquer death, and then to be raised up from the dead, vindicating his purposes for the world and calling a people unto himself and sending them in mission to the world. This incredible message is taken throughout Asia Minor by the Apostle Paul, and he starts founding many communities. But as is often the case where two or three are gathered, there will be conflict, there will be situations, there will be uh, uh, discussions that are happening. Should we do it this way or should we do it that way? And the Apostle Paul begins to write letters to tell them how to conduct themselves. How should they do the Lord's Supper? Should they, how should they handle food that had been previously given to idols? And so he's writing these letters in the context of these church plants that are taking place all over Asia Minor. And those eventually become the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as we know it today. It reminds me of what Leslie Newbigin said when he said, Jesus came to earth, but he didn't write a book. He came to earth and he founded a community. In the same way, Paul is founding these new communities that believe Jesus Christ is Lord. They're confessing this with their mouth and they're believing in their heart that God did indeed raise him from the dead and that he's alive and making all things new. As Paul proclaims this, in the power of the Holy Spirit, people are coming to faith and forming these young, little, nascent communities and these letters are being circulated. 
He wants to go deeper into Asia, but the text tells us in Acts chapter 16 that he was not allowed by the Holy Spirit to go to those places he intended to go. So that one night he has a vision from the Lord where he sees a Macedonian man calling and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And this is the beginning of a journey where Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke and perhaps some others cross the waters to go establish the very first church plant on European soil. And there's something amazing about this city of Philippi that I want to tell you about. The city of Philippi had these people that were very proud and very joyful about having Roman citizenship. The city of Philippi, which gets its name from Philip II of Macedon, who was um, more famous because he's the father of Alexander the Great, he conquered the area and gave the city his name. But what's really important to know about it is that in 42 BC, Octavian and Antony come with their Roman legions and have what until then had been, been the biggest battle. 200,000 men is the estimate in, a, in this massive Roman civil war. And they defeat the armies and the legions of Cassius and Brutus who had been the assassins of Julius Caesar. And when they defeat them, 500 years of Roman Republic end and it ushers in a new era that would eventually be over a millennium of the Roman Empire. Octavian, later to become Caesar Augustus, is the one that then confers about on uh, the city of Philippi the right to be citizens of Rome. And so people who had never even been in Italy or Rome, here they are in northeast Macedonia, in what is today Greece, and they are Roman citizens and part of the imperial cities uh, of the imperial city. In, when they come into Philippi, Paul and, and his band of evangelists and missionaries that are taking forth the word of God, they have three incredible encounters, three Holy Spirit-driven people that they meet that are going to be converted and changed because of the power of the gospel. The first one is a lady named Lydia. We know her as Lydia of Thyatira. I happened to be there earlier this year before the lockdown that's in present-day Turkey. So she's a foreigner. She's wealthy. She deals in purple cloth, which was a very expensive fabric. And she and her house accept the message of Paul and are converted to the ways of Jesus and open up their house in what is believed to be the first church ever planted there by Paul. The second encounter is with a little slave girl who was yelling behind them, this is, these servants are, are preaching to you the way of salvation. They believe in the most high God. At one point, Paul was bothered by this and he turns to her and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you spirit to get out of her. And that's what happens. But along with it leaves the spirit of divination she was a fortune teller, you see, and, and, and her owners were no longer able to make money off this slave girl. But she was impacted by the liberation, the liberating power of Jesus Christ. Angry at having lost their source of income, these men drag Paul and Silas into the downtown marketplace of Philippi. 
They accuse them of teaching them customs that are not the ways of the Romans, something that has to do with the Jewish faith, concepts that they are not allowed to believe, according to them. So they get beat up and they get thrown into jail. Even in those conditions, they are singing songs, and around midnight, God sends a powerful earthquake. The doors swing open, the chains are loosened, and the text tells us that the jailer comes afraid that everybody had left. He draws his sword, wanting to kill himself, and Paul tells him not to do it. He says, stop, we're all here. Trembling, the Philippian jailer comes and kneels before Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul just presents the gospel in a very plain way to him and says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. And so they're all baptized and come also into the fold. What's really incredible about this to me is the three stories that Luke in Acts 16 chooses out of many stories he maybe could have chosen of people impacted by the gospel. He chooses these three, a wealthy foreigner, a woman, a slave girl, poor and demon-possessed, and a Roman law and order type guy, probably a former soldier of the Roman army, who is now the Philippian jailer. And out of this incredible group that our society could never put together, a new church is born because they are born of the Spirit. They are born of heaven, and they are defined by a different kind of citizenship. And so when Paul later writes this text, they are understanding that he's referring to the citizenship not of Rome, but to the citizenship of heaven, which has a power that is much greater than the power of any citizenship on earth. I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but when I was one, my parents moved to Costa Rica. We were there for a year while they learned Spanish. And then we moved to the Patagonia in Argentina, and we lived in two or three different cities there, later in the big city of Buenos Aires where my dad planted a church. Later, my wife Angela and I would live seven years in, in Puerto Rico. But because I was born here, I have one of these. An American citizen proven by this passport. Many, many people covet to have this citizenship. Inside it, it says, the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. I've been able to use this in over 120 countries and I'm allowed to come and all the time to be able to get back into this country because I was born here. But Paul is telling us in Scripture that there's something of much greater value than the citizenship that we might have here on earth. It's that citizenship that we have in heaven. And I would like to draw three conclusions from this citizenship that he mentions in Philippians 3.20. The first thing that we need to realize is that when we are citizens of heaven, when we know that our citizenship is in heaven, we have a new identity this new identity means that our priorities have been changed from the priorities that we once had. Being in Jesus Christ, being born of the Spirit, being born of heaven, means that our life has been reoriented 
not to earthly things, as it would say in the previous passages, but towards the things of the kingdom of God. It means that we don't have to get pushed around by the definitions that the world wants to give to us, especially at this time where we live in, in a time of so much polarization and where everything gets politicized. Do you wear a mask? Don't you wear a mask? Are you going to vote for this party or that party? Should this guy be president or should that guy be president? Do you believe the whole thing of the pandemic is a, is a big hoax? Or, or, or do you believe that, that the world is coming to an end because of it? Where are you? And, you? and we get pegged with worldly opportunities. I believe there's a third way that we can take, which is the way of being and claiming our heavenly citizenship. Let's not get pushed around and, and forced into these earthly and worldly patterns. In Romans 12, Paul would also write in that letter, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be conformed by the renewing of your mind. We are the citizens of heaven with our feet well planted here and grounded on earth, but with the mind of the kingdom of God. The second thing is, don't, we don't only have a new identity, we also have a new community in the same way that the Philippians would have understood that, yes, they had uh, the citizenship that they so valued from Rome, and even Paul would appeal three times to his Roman citizenship in certain situations. He is saying to us, there is a citizenship that is much more valuable, that makes us part of a new community. And just like the jailer, the slave girl, and Lydia could all form part of a new community that is defined not by worldly standards, but by the citizenship of God, the citizenship of the kingdom. In the same way, we now can express a different way of living and a different way of thinking. The, the, the operative, operating uh, principles come from a different source. They come from heaven, the place of instruction, earth, the place of implementation. James Montgomery Boyce, the Harvard and Princeton graduate theologian in the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, talks about a story where he heard that in Decatur, Georgia, back in the 60s, in, during the Civil Rights Movement, there was a restaurant that had two signs on the window. One sign proclaimed, Jesus is coming! And the other sign said, seating is reserved for only these kind of people. There's an incongruence here between that eschatological reality of the community where Revelation 7, 9, in that letter we see that we are described as people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And yet, we still think that we can believe that and at the same time say there are certain kinds of people with certain colored skin who are not welcome here. This should not be because we have a new identity as citizens of heaven, and we have also a new community of which we are part. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that we have an opportunity as the church of Christ to show during these difficult times what it's like when Jesus is king by inviting anyone who would like to be part of the kingdom of God and that our churches be beacons of healing and reconciliation and renewal the third and final point, we don't only have a new identity and a new community, but we also, as citizens of heaven, have a new vocation. 
we are now invited to participate with the Holy Spirit in the renewal of all things. We get to participate and co-labor. Yes, God is the primary agent. None of us, it's not about us. It's about God, it's about Christ. But the Holy Spirit does empower us and gives us and equips us with gifts and with talents. And all of us putting those things together can now participate with God in the renewal of all things because Jesus says, I am making all things new and we get to participate with that. It's not an escape, an invitation to escapism. This is key. As I prepared for this message, I saw that so many preachers and so many theologians go quickly this over-spiritualizing route of thinking that our citizenship in heaven means, well, we're just passing through this world and, and, and someday we'll make it to heaven and it, the whole purpose of the Christian life is to go to heaven. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is inviting us to participate until that day where we eagerly expect when Jesus, the King, is coming back, he has come the first time, heaven came down to us, and the promise is that he's coming back a second time, coming down to us, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. It seems that we Christians, especially in the evangelical tradition, are in a hurry to go up when the whole message of the gospel is that heaven came down. And so we praise the Lord that we get to participate in this vocation of being not escapists, but engaging people who are engaging culture, the society, and bringing about change, showing an alternative of Christian living. Let us remember that Paul also in one of his letters wrote, we are ambassadors of Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes from one country to another country and represents the interests of that country to the other. We also are ambassadors of Christ. We're meant to be here on earth. No hurry to go to heaven. The hurry is to make heaven come to us. Jesus has promised he is coming back. We don't know the time or the hour, but in the meantime, may we be found faithful and may we be found fruitful. Five billion people still do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would like to end reading this letter from the second century called the letter to Diognetus. The author is describing to young Diognetus what the Christians are like. He says, Christians are indistinguishable from men either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they're not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.